You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Hey, welcome to Beyond the Scenes, the daily show podcast that goes deeper into segments and topics that originally aired on The Daily Show. Like, th- this is how you got to think about this podcast. Right, look. If The Daily Show is a Christmas tree, we're the ornaments you use to decorate the tree. You know, the little twinkly lights and the little, the little gold ribbons and all the little streamers that you put on the tree to make it look like icing. And then in January, when you go to clean up your house, you get caught in the vacuum and mess up your good-ass vacuum. I like Christmas. Today, we're expanding on a topic covered by Daily Show correspondent Dulce Sloan in a segment we call Dulce about the impact of HBCU marching bands. Roll the clip. All of this marching band culture found a new home in 1890 when Tuskegee University started the first HBCU marching band. It turns out college and marching bands are a natural fit, like college and STDs. Over the next 50 years, marching bands popped up at Alabama State, Florida A&M, Kentucky State, and other HBCUs. But the big turning point came in 1946, when Dr. William P. Foster at Florida A&M discovered the missing ingredient. Choreography. Dr. Foster taught his marching band new dance moves with help from a PE teacher named Beverly Barber. And that must have been cruel for all those band nerds who thought that going to college meant no more gym class. Oh, you thought you were done running? Mm-mm. Now you gotta do it with a tube. But it was worth it because choreography took marching bands to the next level. Adding dancing to anything makes it more entertaining. Karaoke, in-flight announcements, finding out you are not the father. By the 1960s and 70s, HBCU bands had gone mainstream. They were playing Super Bowls and they even marched to JFK's inaugural parade which had to be the most memorable parade JFK was ever in. Wait, that seems wrong. So recently, a junior over at USC, Princess Isis Lane, created the Cardinal Divas, which is a majorette dance team. Now, if you're not familiar with the majorette dance team, majorette dance teams are, they're a dance team that's rooted in West African uh, dance traditions. And it's a fusion of you know, jazz and hip hop and buck and step. And they do a lot of baton twirling. And a lot of these traditions started in the South and the Midwest, where these majorette dance teams would dance alongside high school bands and support high school football teams. And that tradition has matriculated up into historically black college and university bands. And so the mainstream exposure for the Cardinal Divas, you know, they they got a little bit of backlash, you know, whether or not activities rooted in HBCU culture 
should have a place in a predominantly white institution. So to help us delve into that a little bit more, I'm joined by Tech Elevator Pathway Programmer Developer, Bandhead, and HBCU Advocate, Dr. Christy A. Walker. Dr. Walker, thank you for going beyond the scenes with us today. First and foremost, how are you feeling? I'm feeling great. I mean, that was a great intro. I appreciate it. Well, you know what? I do what I can for, you know, my fellow black college brethren and sistering, even though you didn't go to Florida A&M. Now, you know, you went to North Carolina A&T. Much love to the Aggies. Yes, and much love First to the Rattlers. Well, Y'all thank are you. good, too. Thank you. <laughs> Later on, we'll be joined by dance coach and owner of the Dollhouse Dance Factory and star of the Lifetime show, Bring It, Diana Williams. But first, Dr. Walker, walk me through your black college experience and how you landed at North Carolina A&T, because I'll I give you I'll give you my rundown real quick. My dad is Morehouse. My mama's fam. You. And so in my house, it was pretty much, look, you can pick any of these black colleges, but that's where you need to go. You need to go get some knowledge and you need to get a little bit of culture on top of that. Uh, how did you land at North Carolina A&T and how did you end up in the um, in the band over there, the blue and gold marching machine? Yes, well, the A&T and the Blue and Gold Marching Machine is literally in my blood. My parents met while being in the band at North Carolina A&T. Now, wait so. a minute, that ain't allowed. You're supposed to be focusing on the sound. You're supposed to be fraternizing. The woodwinds can't be talking to the percussion. <laughs> well, you know, stuff happens and, you know, I'm a band <laughs> baby. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, so my parents were marching in the Blue and Gold Marching Machine. It was called the Marching Aggies back then in the 1960s. And so um, I just grew up, you know, just being surrounded in that environment, going to games as a little girl I can remember being you know five six years old going to games and I grew up in Hampton Virginia and so I can even remember going to Hampton University well it was Institute back then but Hampton University games with my grandmother when I was little and I just always grew up in an HBCU environment and so my parents were basically like yours they said, you got to go to a HBCU. We don't care what you do for grad school, but for your undergraduate yeah. education, yep. if we're paying for it, we're going to go to a black college. You're going to go to a black college. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's how it happened. My parents, they didn't pressure me to go to A&T like everybody thinks that. Like they hear that, you know, well, both of your parents went to A&T, they made you go. It wasn't that at all. It was just, you got to go to a black school. You have a podcast uh, called the HBCU Band Experience. And the discussion we're trying to have today is about the idea of Black students who are creating Black spaces for themselves at white institutions and whether or not that is a bit of a, I don't like the word violation, but does it cross a cultural line? Does it, does it break a traditional standard? But I think the first thing we need to do is establish Black college marching band culture from white college marching band culture. In your, def in your definition, because I'm going to tell you right now, I didn't play in no band. All right? <laughs> I played flag football for about two weeks. That was it. I ain't do nothing to represent the school in any capacity other than write for the student paper. Having marched in a black college marching band, in your opinion, what separates an HBCU marching band from marching bands at other schools? 
Well, I think there it's a couple of things. Um, I think, first of all, the music selection. So a lot of times HBCUs will play songs that are top 40 or what's on the radio, hip hop, R&B, pop, um, as opposed to, you know, folks at bands at predominantly white colleges, they may play more Sousa marches, John Philip Sousa, who's a famous <laughs> march. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so <laughs> they will play that more of that kind of music. Um, but that's one of the big things is the difference in, in music selection. And then I just think in, in showmanship, there are qualities that both kinds of bands have. But as far as like the showmanship, the the kind of uh, presentation they put out there, it could be even the marching style that they have to to the announcer getting on the mic and talking a little smack to the other school. You know, you don't really hear that in mm -hmm. predominantly white colleges. And so those are the biggest um, differences I can see. Let's talk a little bit real quick just about the evolution of the Black College Marching Band, because it wasn't always like that. Like, you know, let's be real. Black music is started way before radio. So, you know, when we talk about you know, the fact that, you know, a lot of black soldiers in World War II weren't allowed to carry weapons and were assigned to to be in the drum corps and say, hey, hey, Darkie, give us some rhythm while we march down the street and get our parade, our victory parade for coming home safe. Um, I know um, Tuskegee was the, if I'm not mistaken, Tuskegee was the first HBCU marching band in the 1800s. Give or right. take, I think like 1890. Is what, yeah, I think what, it was 1890. Um, there's okay. this debate between Tuskegee and Alabama A&M having the first uh, band, but Tuskegee, you know, we can go with that. Okay. And so then let's talk a little bit about the evolution band. If that was the first band and that was just some drums and, you know, very African influence, when do we get into the choreography and the dancing and all of the more fanfare? When did the glitz start getting sprinkled in? Well, I think it was more along the, the 1950s. So what happened was you were talking about the the military folks uh, in the band. There's a there's a unit called the Navy B3 band that were around in during World War Two. And it was composed of all black musicians. And a lot of those musicians that were in the Navy B3 band, they went on to become band directors at historically black colleges. And so a lot of times they would get their graduate degree, their master's degree, their doctorate from schools in the Midwest, mainly the Big Ten, because colleges in the South, because of Jim Crow, would not allow them to attend. And so mm -hmm. they would pick up things from your University of Michigan, your Ohio State, your Michigan States, and they would bring them down to the HBCUs where they would take those Michigan fundamentals, but put a little bit of flair in it and play Motown songs and doo-wop songs from back in the 50s. So it really started in the 50s. And Dr. Foster from FAMU uh, was one of the originators of that, if not the originator of having popular music and dance routines and things like that being in a Black college band. Like he's definitely the pioneer. If he was on, if there was a HBCU band, Mount Rushmore, like he, his, his head would definitely be on that. 
<laughs> what was really funny is I was at FAMU uh, during Dr. Foster's last year, kind of like his last ride. Okay. And the entire, all of the home games were a tribute to Dr. Foster, and they always spelt Foster's name out, the Margin 100 did, on the field at halftime. And I just remember it being such a quintessential Black experience because they would spell out Foster. You see it's Foster. We know it's Foster. But the announcer would always go F O S T E. Ara Foster. I'm like, did you have to make R two syllables? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to ask Joe Bullard because I'm pretty sure that was the person who was doing that. Yes, it was. Now, we know that the marching band culture, at least for sure, we know it started in the state of Alabama. We don't know mm-hmm. if it was up in Normal or if it was down in Tuskegee. That's fine. Dr. Foster and the flair and the World War II starts coming in in the 1940s and 1950s. Let's talk about present day black college band culture. What are some of the things that set each school apart? I know the majorettes are there, the flag girls are there, but there's really no one size fits all with these marching bands. So, you know, what have they done? What have what have some of the bands done that you've seen in your analysis that sets them all apart from each other? Well, different bands have different characteristics. So like, for example, Southern University, they're known for their big, brassy sound. For a long time, they were an all-male squad. They have a very much masculine, aggressive, assertive kind of sound, which I really like. Uh, Florida A&M, their, their arrangements are second to none. They're known for having a very much symphonic sound. A&T, for example, my alma mater, their auxiliary is known very well. They're a group of women that can do it all, whether it's twirling the flags or whether it's twirling the baton or whether it's dancing. They're known in that aspect. I mean, I can probably pick something out that's unique about every band program. Norfolk State, for example, they are the Spartans and they have a whole theme with the Spartan Legion, which is, you know, they have very militaristic kind of movements (laughs) and the the songs that they play. I mean, I can pick out something in just about everybody. The thing I think that's also interesting is that to a degree, there are people who go to black college football games just to see the band. Like that's always a long running joke, (laughs) but it's kind of the truth. Yeah. It's it's not a joke at all. (laughs) It's so serious. Like, I mean, I just had my homecoming a couple of weeks ago and I remember, you know, just nobody moves at halftime where at white schools, you've got people going to the popcorn stand or the restroom or whatever during halftime. Nobody (laughs) moves. All right. Time for the popcorn. I'll be right back, baby. Yeah. Yeah, nobody, nobody at a black college leaves at halftime. They leave during the the third quarter. In fact, they may leave the game. (laughs) They may not come to the second. Right, exactly. So now we've set the table. You understand the history of black college marching bands. You understand the culture that it's attached to. So now you can understand why someone creating their own thing for themselves at a white school might have ruffled some feathers. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I need to back up off Princess Isis Lane. But after the break, we're going to break that down a little bit more and discuss everything that's going on over there at USC with the Cardinal Divas. And later, we're going to be joined by dance coach and owner of the Dollhouse Dance Factory and star of the Lifetime show, Bring It, Diana Williams. This is Beyond the Scenes. We'll be right back. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. 
Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com iHeart. That's LifeLock.com iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Beyond the scenes, we're back. We're talking about black college band culture. Now, Dr. Walker, we're going to be joined by uh, Diana Williams in a, in a little bit. But I want to talk to you first about what happened at USC with the viral video from the Cardinal Divas Majorette Dance Team. Now, it caused a big divide and a lot of outrage between people that attended black colleges and people that attended white schools. Now, if you've never seen the video, it's just a group of black girls being excellent, doing the exact same things and moves that you would see at a black college, but they go to a white school. And so there were a lot of people that were, they were upset. There were some people that were upset um, because they feel like this was an introduction into allowing white people to appropriate something that has traditionally been black. And in terms of protecting black culture from culture vultures, they felt like this was a way or an end to normal. Because we all know imitation is the biggest form of flattery because all they do is steal from us on TikTok. But first off, Dr. Walker, what was your initial reaction to the video? As a Black College alum, what was your first reaction when you saw this? Oh, wow. Well, my first reaction was (laughs) I was noticing little things that somebody who's not in our band world would notice. So when I first saw the video and I saw them dancing, I noticed their style of dancing wasn't as tight as I would like for a HBCU dance squad to be. I could tell that it, to me, it looked like a bunch of women just getting together and doing a dance. Like it didn't seem that tight. And I was noticing the people in the background because they were doing it at a USC game and nobody was even paying attention to them. Like they they looked kind of, I don't know, like out of place to me. So that was my first reaction. And then when I realized that it was at USC, I was like, well, why are y'all doing this here? There are what, 107 HBCUs? Why couldn't y'all do that here? So that, that was my first reaction. 
I'll tell you what I thought when I first saw Dr. Walker. Like, I was like, okay, you're trying to do your thing where you are. You're trying to have a piece of your culture at this place where you've chosen to go. And I understand the nature of, well, if you want a culture, you should have went to the place where the culture was created. But I know that, I just know that a lot of black kids end up at black colleges for a lot of different reasons. You in California, ain't a lot of black, I don't know where she's from. Maybe you wanted to be in school close to home. Maybe this school had your program and it's a more esteemed blah, 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 and the graduates go on to do more stuff. But as a comedian who has performed at white colleges for black student unions, I know that they are always appreciative of there being a smidget of black culture within this sea of whiteness that they delve into on a regular basis. So, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess it didn't throw me off as much as it did a lot of other people, but do you think that black college alumni feel that their culture is misunderstood by people who attend white schools? I don't know if it's necessarily misunderstood, but it's more of like, I, I'll, I'll say it like this, the myself and the people that I interact with, a lot of them did not have a problem with this dance squad doing this. My personal issue is that they were getting all on national TV and talk shows. And I mean, even just, you know, this like this podcast, bringing yeah. it up now, like they're getting all this shine while we have been doing this for literal decades. Nobody was checking for us, you know, and so why are they getting shine for the, for doing what we've been doing all along and then kind of doing a halfway job of and it because the dancing wasn't tight. Because <laughs> the dancing wasn't tight. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a question that I had with my team on my podcast. Shout out to Royce Job Fair, also part of the Comedy Central iHeartMedia Network family. <laughs> where is the line of where black culture starts and stops in terms of it permeating into a white school? Because on the one hand, we could say, all right, hey, if you want to be a black dancing group, go to the schools where there's black dancing groups where you can be the best black dancer and you can actually shine and do the thing the right way versus trying to create a culture for yourself where you are. So based on all of those reasons why you might choose a white school, I would assume that is also why we have black Greek organizations on white school campuses. Is that same but different in the sense of black culture that started at black school? All those black fraternities all started at black colleges. They all have roots in the South. Is it the same or is that different in a way because that is permeated nationally across all white schools? I think the issue here is being a, a PWI student and claiming HBCU culture because you and your friends, when you were in school together, you and the black friends at the white school, you know, had your own parties and your own this and your own that. And so I hear a lot of times we were like a mini HBCU. No, that is not the same. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> that that That's my big <laughs> issue. Like, that's not the same. Just because you and your 200 black friends got together and did y'all parties and, you know, had your black student union, don't claim that it's an HBCU experience. I definitely think you can have your own piece of black culture. I mean, I I don't feel like I am the gatekeeper of that in any aspect, and I don't want to be like thought of as a gatekeeper. So, I mean, people get with the groups of people that they can relate with 
in when you're in an environment that is different from yours. So there's nothing wrong with bonding in that aspect. My one issue is that when you try to claim it's an HBCU thing or HBCU culture or saying like, oh, let's throw a HBCU party. No, 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 <laughs> don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like kind of like my culture is not a costume kind of thing. Like you can't cosplay it like you were saying. I just that is my issue. Bond with your people, but don't but don't put HBCU label on it or don't say you were like an HBCU because you're not. Sorry, <laughs> that's just really gets under my skin. <laughs> Clearly, and but that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And that's why we're grateful that you were on the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Walker, for going beyond the scenes with us. After the break, we'll be joined by dance coach and owner of the Dollhouse Dance Factory and star of the Lifetime show, Bring It, Diana Williams. We'll be right back. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot now, we need to get a little deeper into the weeds of majorette dance teams, the styles, all the different styles of these teams, the importance of exposing this dance form to black dancers. And here to help explain all of this, I'm joined by dance coach, owner of the Dollhouse Dance Factory and star of the Lifetime reality show, Bring It, Diana Williams. Diana, how are you doing today? I am fun. I am fabulous. I am fit. I am blessed. I am favored. <laughs> you are all the things. Also, your background is sparkling. That's coordination yeah. right there. Coordination. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, you attended Jackson State University, pardon me, the Jackson State University for college. And, you know, before we get into the black dance culture over there, just start with me and talk to me a little bit about your HBCU experience and you know, what was it like there for you at Jack State? And then also what drove you to choose that school in the first place? Wow. Okay. So Jackson State University has been a part of my bloodline since I was born, literally. My mom went to Jackson State University back in the 70s. She pledged on the campus Delta Sigma Theta in 76. I was born in 78. So it's like it's been mm -hmm. throughout my life. To know, I was supposed to go to JSU. Like everything about me was Jackson State University. Um, I've come from a long history of HBCU participants in my family when i say participants me and they attended school morris brown uh, college morehouse college clark atlanta you know it was all a part of my family jackson state university is a school that i can't even really call it a school it's more like an experience it's more like a, a state of mind you know what i mean because when you walk onto the campus you instantly feel like this this 
this warm air around you where you feel like you're a part of a big family and you're at home. You know, I'm Southern. I'm from the South. So everybody speaks, what's up? Hey, how you doing? You know, it's the yes, ma'am, no ma'ams. You know, it's, it's, it's the normal ambiance of just love and that family feel. And when I was on the campus of Jackson State, I went to Jackson State in 2001. I graduated in 2005. My experiences there were life-changing. They were unforgettable. Um, in so many ways, there were some great experiences. There were some bad experiences, but they were all life changing and life lessons. I started my dance team while at the school. My dance team was given their first opportunities for large performances at the school. It's because of dolls. the school. Yes, it's because of Jackson State that. I am who I am if I'm being very, very honest. You know, I tried out for the dance line at Jackson State, the Prince and Jay sets over six times and was denied every single time. And it wasn't until, you know, Lifetime showed up with this TV show that I, it's like a light bulb went off and said, okay. I was never supposed to do that anyway, because if I did, there would not have been a this because there wouldn't have been time for it. I needed mm. to grow my company, grow my brand. The team needed to be good to be on TV. So how in the world could I have done both? During those four years, 2001 and 2005, were the prime years that the team was founded, the foundation, the core, all of it. And it is because of Jackson State allowing the kids to perform at the football games, the basketball games, performing at J-Set tryouts as the feature performers that we got our start and everybody started to really pay attention to these kids. That's a beautiful story. Now, much like yourself, I tried out for FAMU's baseball team twice and was told, no, I'm still waiting on God to give me my blessing to make baseball and be a 43-year-old rookie at some point. <laughs> Let's break down the roots of majorette-style dancing. And what is it that you think that separates it from all of the other styles of dance? Like what sets all these teams apart from one another? Because like you can all be majorette dancers, but you all can have a different type of sauce, right? Right. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's just start with the first part of it. Majorette dance, in my definition, it is like a pot of gumbo. It is a mixture of every style of dance that exists from square dancing to folk dancing to clogging to ballet to jazz to liturgical to hip-hop to modern because majorette dance takes you on a range of emotion and it doesn't just lead you to just one place you could get really really hype or you can be really really chill you can be really really sassy or you could just be really really demure it just de it depends on which direction you want to go versus ballet is very structured it has to be this it has to be that hip-hop is very this or very that but with majorette it's all all of those things it even encompasses african dance and gymnastics because you got the tumbling skills these kids are doing pop-ups off their heads they're doing helicopters now there's all kind of things that the, the trends have changed you know with majorette so when i look at the style of dance that is my profession it is awesome in so many ways because you can't put it in a box you can't put it in a box. And when I look at the different majorette styles of all of these HBCUs, every single one of them got their own sauce. It is like how you got your different types of hot sauce, different types of barbecue sauce, different types of Creole seasoning. You know, it's not the yeah. same. It's it's similar, but it's not the same. You look at Jackson State University, they are your acrobatic, very structured, aggressive style of majorette. You look at the Golden Girls, they're more of your African dance, get low, very aggressive majorette. You look at the Alabama State Stingettes, they're like the Naomi Campbell of, of the swag. <laughs> 
marriages. Like, yes, yes, yes. Elegance, but then, elegance. Yeah. But they have a little bit of extra little fire because, you know, Naomi Campbell got a fire side to her. But then you go to the yeah. other side and you look at Southern University. They're like Misty Copeland, very much so technical, very much so just prim and proper. Put me in a box. I'm very cute. I'm not going to do too much to sweat. You know, they're, every one of them are very different. But then I recently yeah. had an opportunity to meet Texas Southern, the um, dance line, the, the motion, and they're all over the place. Like, they're all of these things that I just named from all four schools. So it's just no one way to explain it. And each school just has their own swagger. It's kind of like women. You know, we as women are different shades of melanin. We have a different attitude, a different way we walk and pair heels. That's the way we talk. Same thing with guys. But having this conglomerate of things and being so different is what makes Majorette so awesome. And your show, Bring It, right? Mm -hmm. You have figured out a way to present all of these different sauces to the world through, you know, through this type of competition. And the competitiveness of this, the the idea that I'm the best and that I'm going to try my damnness to show you just how amazing I am. When you turned on your Twitter that morning, <laughs> you turn on the Twitter like a television, I'm so old. When you opened up your phone, and you mm -hmm. see this video of Princess Isis Lane mm -hmm. and you see her doing a lot of these different styles and and the Cardinal Divas doing this thing. You know, it, it caused a huge divide between the black college and predominantly white institution. Between the black college alum and non-black college alum mm -hmm. community. It did. It did. What was your initial reaction? Because you are essentially a curator of the You are a sommelier, if you will. Mm of black dance and black majorette culture. What was your first reaction when you saw what you had done and what you had seen, you know, championed so well at so many black institutions happening at a white institution? I didn't look at it as an HBCU PWI thing. It's just dance. I just looked at it as a young girl deciding that she wanted to do something and she just did it. I guess I'm the wrong person to ask that question. Well, I guess I may be the right person because, I mean, I go against the grain. I'm going to do what I want to do anyway. I don't want nobody telling me what to do. I don't care if I'm in the middle of the cornfields or standing in, in Alaska in an igloo. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I don't care who's around me, who's talking about it. Nobody can tell me different. That's just how I move in life, period. So seeing this girl create this and doing it at this I didn't care about the school. Like, that just never dawned on me. Oh, she's black at a PWI. Like, that never dawned on me. I was like, oh, I like the curls in her hair. Oh, she's cute. Oh, they look great. Oh, this is interesting. Why is everybody so mad? Like, I had a range of emotions. Like, I, it didn't dawn on me. So when I realized that she was at a PWI, I still was just like, I didn't get it. I didn't get my, my husband another conversation. He was pissed, but I didn't get it. <laughs> but but this idea that black culture can often be misunderstood, if not presented in the proper context within a white space, did that not give you a fear or concern of the possible appropriation? And we know that Princess is doing her thing. She clearly has studied the culture. Like it's not like she's someone that's not of black culture that was just trying to copycat some stuff. But do you not have a fear or concern of people going of white majorette teams, if not at USC, whoever, whatever school they're playing, looking across mm -hmm. the field and going, oh yeah, maybe we need to put a little sauce in our thing. Maybe we need to put a little Naomi Campbell in our white thing. But they're already doing that. 
They're already doing that. I watched it on the show that I was on. I was on Bring It, but then you had Dance Moms on the other side of it. We've been doing dev drops and head pop-ups and tie kicks and toe touches forever. Then all of a sudden they do a dev drop on their show and it's like, oh, I'm like, what? Like we've been doing that. Like, what are you talking about? We went to a competition that was white structured. It was a national type event. It wasn't our thing and there was not even a, a genre for majorette to check off a box it's kind of like you go um black white other we were the other in the building and it was weird so i understand you know hbcu culture pwi the black the white the different styles of dance and how it could be it could feel i understand like how i personally felt as a dancer to me dance is dance but if i'm looking at it outside and everybody else's retrospect and their understanding i can understand how everybody feels because yes she is in a p WI space, doing a culture of style of dance that we've cultivated, that we've created, that we have nurtured and loved on and made it to be this awesome sauce. But this is no different than any other thing in the world that we've been doing from straightening our hair to curling our hair to wearing certain clothing and, and even the hip hop culture of corn roll braids. And it's like nothing. It's the same. So I get what they're saying, but the is I'm trying to find the right word to make it make sense because I don't I don't to me she looked like me, Roy. She looked like me. And I'm like regardless of where she is, it shouldn't matter. If she is creating a lane for herself there, I don't personally have a problem with it, but I can understand how someone's saying, well, they're stealing our culture. She took our culture there. Why not just go to an HBCU? Why talk to Princess? And I asked her those questions, mm -hmm. you know, and she just said that she's from Chicago. And she just said that, you know, when I was in, in school, I had to go to school online because of COVID. I couldn't be in the school system. And then, you know, wanted I went to the school because I, I, I'm assuming that diversity was something that they were looking for in their school, just like we look for diversity at HBCUs. And maybe the school offered her a full ride or a scholarship or whatever, and she had to pay nothing for school. I don't know. I'm assuming. Yeah, I don't feel like Princess owes an explanation to black folks why she didn't want to go to no black college. I yeah. don't like, I, I almost hate that that question was posed to her. You know, I do, when you look at other aspects of black culture, stepping into mainstream i don't think what she was doing was some sort of unprecedented thing not when you got marching band black college marching bands playing during the super bowl shout out florida and then played with oh, Miami that super bowl. No uh also you know <laughs> if i'm not mistaken there were marching bands that was part of biden's inauguration with a uh, kamala yeah. when biden and kamala were doing the inaugural yeah. parade so yeah. Is that a black man in a white space? Is what like because what is showcasing blackness versus you're setting us up to have our culture poach, and that's the line that I feel like everybody that's mad about it can't define clearly. Not when you have black fraternities and sororities walking around. But how is she? And then you have you have Caucasian students and other and other students of other races that are pledging these fraternities and sororities. So are they are we are they setting our us up to have our to have our cultures stolen by someone? I, I don't get that. Like I don't, I don't I don't get that. I just hate that she's not she's not setting anybody up for anything. Because if they're gonna steal it, they're gonna steal it anyway. 
You know, you got people that have that have mixed. We we are mixed race because Massa was raping. You know, the slaves when when they, all of us coming out of different colors. Hell, my background is Indian, Cuban, white, black. I got so much mixed up in me, child. I be trying to figure out: Am I the hood side today? Am I bougie? What am I? You know, because some days I don't really I don't really get it. For but to, to, for I was like, when I say get it, meaning like it's not that big a deal. It is, but it isn't. I am pro-black. I am Black Lives Matter. I am shop black, buy black, support black. I am all of that. And I think with that is the reason why I was so supportive of Princess, not because she's in a PWI space, but just because it's her. And I never want anybody to stop their dream or stop chasing something for whatever her reasons were, simply because your own people don't accept it. I mean, let's be clear. When Bring It started, my own people came after me. They told me I got my black girls on TV dancing like strippers. And they do. I was like, what? I'm like, wait a minute. Did our African ancestors not talk to the talk to the talk to the talk? Like, I'm confused. Am but I not show watching? the blackness to everybody. That's our secret. Listen, <laughs> I was confused. And I love my people. I love being black child. I, I don't I don't wouldn't change anything about me in the world, but this is crazy. Did you get any grief for being on Lifetime and not a black network? It wasn't that it was more of I was told that I am dumbing down myself for this network and I'm not being my natural self. Now, if you watch that show, you know, everything about me was me. So I don't know what they talking about. But at the same time, it was me kicking down doors and opening up another opportunity for us to be seen on television. We're the fastest growing show in the history of that network, period. That's Googleable. Like we're the, and we're an all black cast of young kids doing a style of dance that nobody really even talked about until we got on TV. So Lifetime, us being on that network, to me, it really helped us cross another line. It's kind of like a black a black star becoming a pop star or a, a, a country singer. You know, we're crossing different lines and showing that we deserve to be in this particular space. So you start you start this group at Jackson State. So you know of the hurdles when it comes to starting a group. Now, it's one thing to talk to Princess and give her emotional support and talk to her about the backlash. But what were some of the other blind spots that you were able to hip her to like just in a support like like how do you offer support to to princess and the cardinal divas like what what things what other things did they did you look at that and go oh she gonna need this this and that i gotta mm -hmm. get this girl on the phone Mm-hmm. Well, I started Dancing Dolls at a community center in Jackson. I just so happened to go to Jackson State at the time where my team started. So I didn't start mine like she did hers. However, what I did tell her was that they needed costumes. I just feel like they need a look. They don't have a look. Something that sets them apart from everybody else versus them just being in a in a uniform that they created or something that they bought a, a sports bra and some briefs and they're out there. They need an overall look. She needs overall structure. They need to understand the style of majorette. They need to understand the background, the culture. And they also need to start paying tribute and respect to some of these other teams. Because it's like if it's like if when I started dancing dolls, I always gave respect to the Prince and J sets. Always. It was we call our J set, we call our walk J set walk. Like we've caught, we created costumes and named them after them to show respect for who came before us and hey, where did I get it okay. from? Right. She didn't do that. And it's like, you have to let people know I started this because I saw this. 
This is a team that I love and show grace to and I love what they do. I want to create my own space in this world, but I need to pay homage to these other teams and show respect and let people know that this is what you're trying to do. And I think that it will come across it. Probably people still probably gonna be mad, but at least to, for it'll come across a little bit differently. The, uh, the, big, the biggest advice I did give her, though, I did tell her about their overall look and they needed to have some structure with choreography for sure, for sure. It sounds like everything you're talking about costs money, though. How do you fund an operation like this? Because I don't know if this counts as a student activity group or if it's an actual mm -hmm. covered by USC football booster money or whatever. Like, how do they get money to maintain this? Because you're talking about costumes, you're talking about choreography, you're mm -hmm. talking about in the space to do the dances, you're talking about doing 20 people's hair. Black well, I did have to listen. This well, ain't I did no $20 dollar haircut. Now, they tell you to just all get a boosie for you. Well, you right about that. No, I did. But I did have this conversation with her. And she told me that they are officially a student organization on campus. So she did do that part of it right. They were given a space to practice in. But when it comes to costuming, if you're starting up something, any business or anything, what you have to do? You got to invest. You got to invest in yourself. And if you're a college student... You know, you want to get something done a specific way. Okay, I need to figure out if I'm going to take out a student loan. Am I going to get a grant? Am I going to get a job? If I need costumes, what do the costumes look like? What does the pricing look like? Even if they got just one, one something for the whole particular season. Princess has gotten a lot of notoriety behind this. There's a lot of people that have, she's been on the Jennifer Hudson show. She's been on all these different news shows. She's so been everywhere. Me. Yeah, gave a shout out. Yeah, she should be using these, these opportunities, not just a viral but to build a business, not a business, but I guess I'm out, my head's always in business, but to build oh, another business. space for her to make for her to make money. And it's like, do you start a GoFundMe? Do you create a donation account where there's monies there for you to be able to get donations for your kid for your um your dance line? But then on top of that, Roy, the world we live in now is black women, there's there we wear wigs, we wear weaves. You can get a wig made that will last you a full year and get your braids done underneath it for thirty dollars every time you have to perform. It's a one, it's a one time thing. Trust me, I know because I got almost a hundred kids and they all wear wigs. And we got one wig done at the beginning of the year. They get their hair braided. They spend thirty dollars every time they get it done. All and that it's a head way to do whipping it. and neck snapping that wig be just staying together. It's sewn down. It, <laughs> no, it's sewn down. It's sewn down. Okay. I'm pretty sure that somebody would want to donate their time to have an opportunity to work with Princess. And I'm going to tell you two people I know for sure. One, her name is Jesslyn Stiegel. She's a former member of the Jackson State University Prince and Jay Sets. She lives in California. She offered her services and she said that she would be happy to coach them. Also, a makeup artist by the name of Monet. Monet was my makeup artist for three and a half years for the Bring It Live tour and on Bring It. She's awesome. She lives in Los Angeles and is willing to donate services to them as well. I offered to purchase a uniform for the girls and I also offered to come to California during basketball season to help them with choreography because my thing is it's like if I'm not a part of the solution then I'm a part of the problem if I can't donate a dollar to them that I'm not going to talk about them, I'm not going to sit back and be like mm -hmm, look at them look a mess but I'm not doing anything about it so but there are people that are willing to help she just has to be willing to get in the right space to be able to do that and then on top of that you can't come with your fist like this because you're going to miss out on your blessing you got to have your hands open to be able to receive it I think that a bigger issue that was kind of buried in all of this, in, in my opinion, is that I think that this exposed to some degree 
why a lot of black kids don't go to HBCUs. And it's not always because they don't want to. And there was a conversation happening underneath the surface about that, because, you know, a lot of kids are from states that straight up don't have a black college and they can't afford the out-of-state fee. I went to FAMU out-of-state from Alabama, and I tried to get in-state my junior year. They said if you get one bill in your name for a year, you can get it. But I didn't know you also had to have a Florida ID, and they got my ass. (laughs) Why is funding essential to remedying the issue of, you know, the number of black kids across the country who often choose a PWI over a black school? Money's going to always be an issue for everything. If if you don't have the money, you can't move like you want to move. It just it just is what it is. And I know kids. I love my girls. Okay, I have girls on my dance team now that cannot select an HBCU because the schools of their choices are states away and they cannot afford to go. They may have a scholarship, but it's not enough. The scholarship may be enough for tuition, but it's not enough for housing. They may have like a the dance scholarship, scholarship or the dance scholarship. No, they're so, academics. They're okay, academic okay. scholarships. As I always tell my kids, don't don't base your life based off of dance because when those four years are over, you still have to have a career and a way to make a coin when it's over with. So you're going for a degree. So make sure that's your that's like the top priority. So when they decide, hey, I want to be an astronomy major or I want to go into cinematography, you know, the people, the places that have their majors are not always HBCUs and the ones that do have it, they're so far away or they don't want to dance on this team. They want to be on this team, but this school doesn't offer this, that, and the third. And outside of even the dance part of it, the academic part of it, they may just not have the means, the means or the motive to be able to get there. And some parents are not willing to let their kids go either. They don't want their kids to go that far. They want to keep them close for whatever the reasons may be. Money and funding is going to always be an issue for these kids trying to make a decision to go to school. And we can't ridicule those that are not able to get there. And I'm not saying pity them either. I'm just saying we just have to have an understanding for each other as a people to say, you know, maybe they weren't able to get here for whatever the reason may be. But if I'm able to give them a little bit of my HBCU experience when they come to visit or if I see them, let me explain to them what it's like being on the campus of your FAMU or your Fayetteville State university or your winston salem's or your bethune cookman's let me give them a little bit of what i'm getting so they can see another side of life because i do feel like a lot of us are missing out on culture and love and that family feel from our people because we are at other schools and then when you get to an hbcu or you're around a lot of black people you're assuming oh they're gonna be this or that based off of what you see on the news there's a lot of educated black women and men in the world that come out of these hbcus but because we're we're not pwi we're assumed to be beneath the rest because we're not a part of what they assume to be the best you got some of the best doctors and lawyers and judges and police officers coming out of HBCUs. I just don't get it sometimes with the way we treat each other, but it just, it's just, that's a very sensitive topic for me because I've just been treated multiple different ways, even at Jackson State, even when I left Jackson State and I was in the entertainment industry, being on the sets of the different places that we had to go for bring it. And I was treated in multiple different ways and I had to contain my blackness and I had to not, don't be this loud ghetto black girl, you know, because they got you effed up. Like, don't do it, girl. I had to constantly have conversations with myself because I'm like, I'm in a different space. When I go to the corporate offices, I have to be 
this or that, you know, because they expect the wow and pizzazz and I can't be myself, but I had to use my, my HBCU education is what got me through being on that television show. Jackson State taught me how to fight using words. Jackson State taught me how to think utilizing my degree and what I learned in those classrooms by critical thinking. I have a criminal justice degree. Learn how to argue without arguing. One of my teachers always told me that. Learn how to argue without arguing. Learn how to speak your mind with authority without being afraid of your voice being too aggressive because you were a woman and because you're black. Learn how to speak and present and talk and command a room no matter where you go. These are things that I learned at my school. But I also learned that no matter where you go or what you do, somebody going to try you and you got to be able to have that ethnic side, okay? And you got to also be able to have the professional side where you can turn it on and turn it off. And I do feel like I love all schools and all people. And I have to say that because I feel like people are going to get me. But being at a PWI, you ain't going to get what you're going to get at an HBCU. And being at an HBCU, you're not going to get what you're going to get at a PWI. It goes both ways. But looking at the princess situation, it's just for me, she's trying to blend both of what she knows and feel comfortable on both sides. Then we'll end with this question then. I feel like what she did was net positive for the culture. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's important? Or do you think it's important? I think you do. Why do you think it's important to have something so culturally specific, be it a dance team, majorettes, black Greek organizations, hell, a Drake concert? Why is it important to have culturally specific things at a space, at a PWI? Because, you know, I did a ton of comedy shows for black student unions at white schools. And the Black Student Union's job was to bring something culturally specific to the campus. So in Princess's case, why do you think that's that was important? People need to see who we are all the way across the board. And again, stop trying to put this category or this label on who you think we are. Like they, And I think that what Princess did was she showed a different style of dance that some of them are trying to do. Because there, there are other dance teams that do exist at all these, at some, at some PWIs, but Princess is the first person that just kind of went viral for it. But there needs to be a space where people do realize that black people are multifaceted and multi-talented. Yeah, you see the different artists, the different rappers, the different singers and songwriters, but there's other, what else is there? And then, uh, and then on top of that, there's no black sheroes in dance anymore. Missy Copeland was there for a while and she was a part of the American Ballet Theater. She was a black ballerina. That don't happen. So she crossed over lines. So we need to always be represented in every sense of the space so that we don't become invisible or disappear or they forget. Then it's like, a, oh, I didn't know that that happened. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. No, you need to know. I went through this on Bring It. I went through this being in a dance mom space. I would never forget how I felt. Right, I was pissed. I would never forget how I felt. And I was trying to keep it together because my girls were looking like, oh God, we don't belong here. I'm like, you belong anywhere you want to be, child. You supposed to be here. We here. Let's go. We finna turn up on their stage. Like our parents were cheering and the rest of the crowd was like, oh my God, they're yelling. We're like, what? Like y'all don't yell at a competition? What are we doing? I just remember how I felt in that moment. So when Princess came out with this and the world is yelling at her, I know how I felt and I put myself in her shoes and I'm thinking this black girl just want to rock out. This black girl just want to dance. It's not about black versus white to me, but I understand the world, especially with what's happening in the world. I'm not ignorant or quiet to, to not know what's happening around me. I know what's going on, but I think it's always important, Roy, for representation to be everywhere. You need to know and understand 
that this is who we are as black people. Whether you accept it or not, because we ain't looking for your acceptance, sis, ma'am, sir. Not looking for your acceptance, okay? <laughs> Just know that we're here. This is what it is, whether you like it or not. Because Princess has run into, she has run into some obstacles where that girl has been told no. Since all the media and everything has come around this, she's hit, hit some walls since then. And I think it's just too much for them to expect, accept. And now it's like, oh, damn, what did we do? We allowed this black girl into this space and she's bringing too much noise. That's what that's the point. That's the point. There needs to be noise made around so many different aspects. And if the HBCU culture is big right now, people are using us, Roy. Using HBCUs, and that's a different topic for another day because, baby, I got a whole oh. <laughs> HBCUs, majorette dance, marching bands. You're using us as a box to check off to say, oh, yeah, I donated to an HBCU. We don't need your donation. Okay, we don't need any of that. Don't do that. If you if you want us here, really want us here. And I think that Please. that's just exactly 1000%. And I really believe that that's just what it was for me. And I keep saying for me, because I'm opinionated like a mother. I said, but it's just me. You know, I just think that <laughs> people need to accept all sides and all walks of life. If I want to be accepted when I walk into Sprouts or Whole Foods, you know, when I, I want to be accepted when I walk into a, to a car lot to buy a car, whether I'm in sweats or a two-piece suit, I want to be accepted no matter what. So inclusion is everything. It's just going to be something that's it's going to be a fight that's never going to end. It's been we've been dealing with this for the longest for well, since before, since before my mom was born. So well, I cannot thank you enough for your expertise. Um, I'm going to be back down south in a month or two. I'm going to hit you up, see if you can teach me an eight count. I'll come by your <laughs> studio and uh, see if I can learn one, two. Kick and step, ball turn, oh push, God. kick turn. Two, that when you right. come, I'm a, yeah, you did. When when you come, I'm gonna give you a Jackson State T-shirt because I don't know nothing about fans. Uh, uh, that's gonna give me a rash. Thank you so much, Diana. For all right, thank on you. The show. And thank you, Doctor Walker, and thank both of you all for going beyond the scenes with us. See you next time. All right. Listen to The Daily Show Beyond the Scenes on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.